my name is Barbara McKenzie. I'm just getting settled and introducing you to who I am and how I think and what I have to offer. And we're doing this to as I line up guest speakers. So I'm doing some recording, editing, and getting episodes ready where I have invited friends to join me in sharing some of their thoughts and stories and beliefs and practices in how they navigate the world. I really look forward to the sessions coming up. So uh, we have Linda Brooke, who is a longtime friend, and she is doing a cord cutting session with me. And I have another episode coming up with a friend, Janine Cummings, who is divine nurturer and has a voice of an angel. I know you're going to love her as much as I do. Um, I have lots of other ideas. I have invitations out, which have not been accepted yet. I don't want to jinx anything, so I'm not going to uh, get all excited and name names at this point until I have interviews in my recording studio. Today's episode is all about connection, compassion, and communication. It's a solo episode. I'm going to tell some stories. I'm going to talk about some things that I know about these three topics. And we're going to try and tie it in to uh, what it means for personal care, for self-help, and, and for navigating our way forward. But before we get started, I'm going to put a free plug in for the University of Alberta, who's putting out a course um, called Indigenous Canada. And I believe every single Canadian and probably every person on the planet should take the course. It's a 12 uh, session or, or lesson course, and each lesson has videos and audios and a test. And you need to pass the test before you can move on to the next module, which I love because it forces me to pay attention on a whole other level. Um, I took one of the modules uh, three times before I passed it, and I had, and it's beautiful because it, they tell you where you need to go back to study in order to be successful. They don't give you the answers. They just guide you to where to go. And this course is put together by the Indigenous community about the history of Canada. And it is fascinating and horrifying all at the same time. I highly recommend it because we need to understand the nature of what we're dealing with. And um, until we see the full truth, we're under uh, assumptions. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, those assumptions are wrong. I, um, I can't even begin to tell you how... Um, much I've learned so far in the course. So I hope you take that. Uh, I have no affiliate. I, I receive no benefit from promoting them. I just believe honestly that the government should pay for it and that every Canadian should understand the history from one source, one source, so that we all understand the same education. So that's me. I'm stepping off my soapbox now. Thank you so much. And on that note, I would like to say how honored I am to be recording from the traditional territory of the Mississauga of Scugog Island First Nations. 
and that I reside here because of the Williams Treaty. I have named this, uh, identified the topics, these three topics, connection, compassion, and communication. Um, but I'm working off of notes that I prepared um, quite a number of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see how this all ties together. And um, I'm going to trust that it will. So I've been in this game long enough to know when I've stumbled on what I like to call empathy alligators. So these are not friends uh, or people who care as much as they are people who um, have their own interest and have their own agenda and are information gathering. They're easy to spot once you understand them, <laughs> uh, but they can be quite evasive uh, otherwise. These empathy alligators are very obvious. They, they expose themselves because of who they are. And what I've recognized over the years is that they're not as much of a threat as I originally understood because they are so obvious. And I have come to a place in my life finding this new horizon is bringing is this new kind of gator. I've got, I've got written down here the prick of the century because it's a spiritual parasite. You know, I have so many stories of situations where I have become familiar with a person or a group of people just over time things have not felt right for whatever reason it ends up that my gut instincts were right and the sense of this was right and over and over and over again it's been reinforced in me that when i hear these whisperings when i hear these callings from within i need to listen and they can be as simple as, um, you know, walking by a junk drawer, feeling I need to pull it open, my eyes landing on a safety pin, and I pick it up and put it in my pocket. Why was I inspired to go to the drawer in the first place? Everything else in the drawer just, you know, remains kind of dormant. Nothing stands out to me but the, but the safety pin. And lo and behold, at some point during the day, somebody will say, does anybody have a safety pen? And I just pull it out of my pocket because I know that I was guided to put it there. And it may not seem like a giant miracle to anybody listening, but to me, it's listening to the whisperings and the musings of my inner coach. And that helps me to develop and further build trust in, a, in an ongoing relationship with myself, which is critical. It's critical to compassion for myself, for connection with, with myself, and for communication, not only with myself, but with the rest of the world. You know, one of the things that these spiritual parasites can do is they can literally leech off of you. So I was briefly involved with a group that I was quite inspired with and by, and in the end, it just a data mining exercise for wisdom so that other people can extract wisdom informally just through conversation and then go out and present themselves as uh, authorities on these subjects. So it, it really was uh, very subtle and, and not easily distinguishable, 
but once it was exposed, it was really clear and obvious. So it was a real virtue signaling because they were presenting as they were um, doing this community thing and they were actually just propagating from the stories for their own benefit and uh, um, unaware of what how we really connect and just trying to you know be the the one the one it and it's all an ego it's not all an ego drive um you know life experience itself is designed to reflect what we want and what we don't want in life and of course it's all mirage in the mirror of our mortal desire so before we can use life experience to awaken we we have to initiate a separation of ego so that we can come from a place of spirit so that we are not uh, coming from that self-serving what's in it for me um, how can i get an advantage out of this situation uh, because the ego, you know, like it or not, ego has been educated and taught and encouraged to be that way. Like we have created the monster and so many people are, you know, trying desperately to find still points in their heart and mind where there's only truth. And the, the ego is so busy with their you know, babble bullshit that we can't hear what what the inner truth really is. And until we can sit in silence, true silence, and learn to separate the ego from the spirit of who we are, I'm not sure that, that we can be free. They say, only the truth will set us free, but I'm not really sure that we can get to the truth if we're not looking at all of the facets of who we are. I think to find a still point in our mind and our heart where there is only truth it's, it's a very difficult but satisfying journey and we have to be able to let go of the chattering of the ego that is connected to pain, trauma, beliefs and thoughts that are not true. You know, at this age, I'll be 60 I'm starting to come around to this idea that we were born, you know, because I've worked within the virtues project, I know that these virtues are innate to our being. We're born with them. So, you know, somebody doesn't take love and insert it into us. They don't they can't take patience and insert it into us. We need to learn it. We need to experience it and we need to exercise it and grow it into maturity and mastery. And if our life experience does not give us positive influence in those areas, then I believe our, our virtue can atrophy and morph and distort. And this is the issue that I believe we're seeing in society right now is that our ego has been allowed to run rampant and we are all distorted. We are all believing that we're separate and we must come back together. Like unity needs all of us and we all need to come back together in order to create harmony and unity in the world. The gifts I've gained from these alligators and pricks in my life 
is that they didn't realize I was born in the rabbit hole. So when I fall deep, I don't get lost. I go into process. I learn how to better navigate. I witness the mirrors that hang on my walls and I experience the reflections of myself and others. And um, I guess I, in some cases, um, witness what is truly believed about myself and others. And um, it's a whole management system that is required in order to live in hell, but hold heaven and be managing mindfully in a, in a divine way. And I think this is where, you know, life is getting a little bit tricky because we've, we have um, taken virtue and we've kind of plugged it into religion and religion doesn't work for everyone. But because we've done that, it almost takes virtue off the table because we no longer identify with it. And because we have, in our Western society, created choice around what religion you want to live under or not, but virtue has been so entangled with religion that we no longer have, you know, true access to it unless, of course, we're we're going to that particular religion. So, you know, this is one of the things I love so much about the Virtues Project because they are secular. There is no underpinning of religion. It's, uh, you know, five strategies to help us live our best life. And just in spite of what religion you might follow. Um, and it's the common denominator virtue because, you know, faith, patience, tolerance, perceptiveness, caring, love, peace, justice, those are all the same, no matter what faith you belong to. They are within us. Presently in my day-to-day -day life, I use the five strategies to help me understand and navigate my life. And it's nothing grandiose, but I make a difference in people's lives and help people come to a place of presence. And I help people recognize that, you know, loneliness can be satisfied with an inner relationship and, you know, lots of other uh, ways in order to affirm what we need and bring it to the spirit of who we are. For every negative comment you hear about yourself, or you think about yourself, you need five positive ones in order to neutralize the impact of the negativity. Does that make sense? So every time you hear criticism from someone, you actually need to hear um, compliments five times more in order to balance it out. So think about that in terms of social media and all of the messages that we have about self and worth and uh, what's what's important. You know, it, it's crazy. I find it so sobering um, just how much positive interaction we need on a regular basis in order to balance uh, the negativity that is all around us and, and seems to be growing. You know, I, I don't think it's any surprise that the planet's in trouble and um, we're not speaking loudly enough or clearly enough to articulate our concerns or our advocacies. You know, there are a few people on the planet that are able to shake up 
and wake up, you know, to bring social change. Uh, but those people are few and far between and, and they must be exhausted. They're just, they just keep, you know, I'm thinking about the Greta Thunbergs and, and how exhausting it must be and how difficult it must be for her to just, you know, keep repeating the same thing, which is you're not listening to the people who are in, in authority, who actually can make the decisions and make the change. We, we have opportunities all around us all the time to be building bridges between heaven and hell in a really conscious way. And this is the perfect time to be doing it. You know, 2021 is just the perfect time to be doing it because we have a lot of shit to sort through. And it's all kind of up. It's all been thrown on the table. Not all of it, but a lot of it. It's being thrown on the table. And we cannot just ignore it. We cannot just throw five positive things at it. We have to sit with that one terrible thing and let it really sink in. So, you know, that may sound like a, like a, a complete um, contradiction of what I said just a few minutes ago, but there's a time for everything and it may not be a time for peace right now. I, I crave peace. Of course I do. Lots of people do. I work toward peace. I do everything I can today in order to establish the path forward toward peace. But before we can get to peace, we have to learn to listen. We have to learn to hold space for one another. We have to hold the truth with untethered hearts. We can't be all entangled with what's in it for me. You know, it hurts my feelings or whatever. Like, we have to really get courageous about listening to the truth here in Canada because, uh, you know, the next few years are going to be challenging with the bodies being brought home from residential schools all across the country, it's, it's going to take time for that to happen. And we cannot begin to heal until that process has happened. And until we've acknowledged the, the truth of the pain. One of the most interesting things that I think I've discovered in my life is the idea that being positive isn't enough. Being positive, happy, and blissful isn't enough. So I'm going to tell you a little story of residual shadows. I, I've always been positive, uplifting, inspiring kind of a person. And I was known for being able to spin the truth in a positive light. So um, just touching on the, the gifts and, you know, what's in this dark place for me? What's here for me to see? So I've always been able to do that, but I completely dismissed the need to go into the fear or the pain or the trauma. I completely dismissed that, so bypassed it, basically. And what happens when you bypass the truth, when you bypass those real feelings, they don't go away. They, they linger like shadows. And if there's any kind of injustice or 
concern about safety or, you know, if the trauma eventually surfaces, all of these residual shadows come rushing up. They, they are not gone. They are in there. Trust me. Mine came rushing up when I was about 55. So prior to that, I, you know, lived with rose-colored glasses on. I completely had this ability to turn everything Pollyanna. And it's so interesting to me the way grace flows and goes in our life. I don't even know how I ended up understanding um i think it may have been a dream at one point i remember i i dreamt about these it was almost like a vegetation i was in the bath and it was growing in the corner in the shadows and it was like it was like chives if you've ever seen chives that have gone to flower they were every single one had a chive flower head and as I moved my flashlight to see them, they would squeal and all together cower away from the light. I just had this visual of them kind of trying to get away from the light, which kept licking the edges of, of these things that were in the shadows. And the... I guess in my mind they were anchored, but I have no idea if they were anchored. They seem to be all clustered together, but I have no idea. Um, but it became really obvious to me that I needed to um, stop bypassing and start paying attention to what my feelings were around things so that I was being honest with myself. And that was probably the biggest shift I made. And so it wasn't as simple. It didn't happen overnight. Um, but what it allowed me to do was to be able to communicate more openly within myself. So, you know, I wasn't hiding or lying. I was facing my own truth. Um, and I you know, hiding or lying, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I've been brought up and taught to compromise, but I compromised to the point that I completely lost my own view. And so um, when I, when I realized that I needed to start leaning into the shadows of my life, I stopped, or maybe it's easier to say I started to be completely honest with myself. So if I wasn't feeling something, I was setting a boundary that I wasn't, you know, going there. And, um, and that became really important to me. And it helped me to teach myself how to connect how to communicate and how to hold compassion for myself because I didn't, you know, I couldn't be angry with myself all those years of, you know, being in bliss because I was in a bliss bubble, but my bliss bubble was partially there because of codependency. It wasn't that I was in bliss as much as it was that I felt a need to please. So, you know, I'm, I'm in this process now, five years later, where I'm starting to make sense of it all. So it, it's it's been very tricky navigating the, the way things unfolded. So for instance, I don't know however many people have heard this story, but I had a vision at one point and that vision guided me to put a message out on Facebook in a group of 
300,000 people and I had one person respond and that one person led me to number one, sit with the vision and be patient. And she gave me a few resources to help me to do that. But also she was involved in this group, which eventually became known as Standing Rock. They were developing a Facebook group in order to support the activities that were happening on the ground at camp. And she invited me to join her to co-moderate because I have a few technical skills and, and I have a a true interest in what happens uh, with the truth and reconciliation process for the whole Indigenous population, not just what's happening in Canada, but just in, in general. Um, but I ended up on this Standing Rock Facebook page as a moderator April of 2016 until almost Christmas. Uh, or January of um, the same year. And I spent probably 12 hours a day on my laptop monitoring conversations in posts, uh, diffusing arguments, kicking people out of groups. And Eventually, we were, we were vetting members at a rate of about a thousand a day. It was absolutely insane. You know, it was so interesting the way things aligned because Facebook had just brought Facebook Live on board. I believe they were piloting it just brand new. People hadn't, you know, it was one of those buttons in Facebook that you've seen it there, but you're too afraid to click it. So not very many people had explored what that meant at that point. And we were playing with it. And I had been for about six months working with a software that was um, almost like a third party that enabled you to go live, uh, like a broadcast software. And so we were able to identify reporters on the ground and bring them live through our Facebook group and broadcast what was going on. And if we hadn't have been able to do that, I am not confident that the drone footage and the video footage that was being pumped out, I, I'm not confident that it would have gone viral the way it did. You know, there were a couple of uh, video broadcast um, groups that had come online, like, you know, they were instrumental too in helping broadcast what was going on because the Morton County Sheriff Department and the authorities in South Dakota had complete si like media silence. This, this nightmare was going down at Standing Rock and no one was talking about it. It was frightening. And then when they did start talking about it, all across the major news channels that were picking it up, they were all repeating the same thing. It was like they all had the same script. They were all sent the same script. It's scary. And the community around Standing Rock got the Morton County Sheriff's Department's view of what was going down, which really scared the citizens and further complicated everything because it instilled fear and it, and it reinforced the need to protect and divide and conquer. And it went bad. It just went really bad. I remember being horrified one night, sitting there watching um, the live feeds coming in 
of the night that they sprayed the water for five hours in minus degree weather on a, a group of people who were basically trapped on a bridge. No protection. They just, they just got that cold water for five hours. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely brutal. It, it, like when you take chaos and you put it in the face of peace, there's a, there's a clarity there. And in the very beginning, when the water protectors were going to the river and praying and singing and drumming, that was all they were doing. That was their process. They were praying and singing and drumming at the water. And when the Morton County Sheriff's Department got those dogs worked up into such a frenzy that by the time they released them, they were frantic. And they released those dogs on the peaceful water protectors that were praying and singing and drumming at the water's edge. Of course they're going to run. What did they expect? Of course the running gets the dogs worked up. They knew that was going to happen. You can see it when they were working those dogs up to a frenzy before they released them. It's all on video. But these are the kinds of things, this was my entry. So I, I had been 37 years on a media fast. And what that means is I didn't watch the news, didn't read the newspaper, um, you know, what was going on, just, I just didn't engage. I also didn't engage in celebrity, you know, stuff, What who is doing who and who's married to who and who's done what, you know, I could care less. I love watching movies, don't get me wrong. I love famous people when they're good and kind and helpful. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, here we are in this world where <laughs> people are starving and they don't have proper water and we're, you know, we're just, it's so out of touch with what's actually going on in the world that, it doesn't even seem right. So then sometime in September, the psychology of it all, you know, hit me like a tsunami. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people who were from the other side pretending to be friends. And they had slipped by us in the process of vetting members um, you know, we literally went to every page and tried to assess whether that person was a real or a troll. But some slipped through and it's the chaos that they caused that was really damaging. And uh, every single day it was, you know, damage control. We were just out there doing damage control watching individuals having to scrutinize and and um get into conversations and um observe just watch it just was so time consuming and personally draining and uh what a shift from you know being in this bliss bubble to then having to um, be scrupulously diligent about who, who was who. And, you know, we, we had to be questioning everybody. So it, it became just this very time-consuming process uh, where there were hundreds of people causing havoc. The worry... The anxiety, the questioning, the arguments, 
that broke out on Facebook posts were sometimes strategic. And you could tell by the way things were said that it was somebody who was provoking, provocateur is, is how we coined them. But they were provoking and causing chaos. They were wanting to divide people against each other. They wanted to see Indigenous peoples arguing amongst themselves and fighting amongst themselves about blood and rights and whites. It was disgusting. And again, you could see it. It was so obvious in some cases and, and so subtle in other cases. But it caused a lot of emotional anxiety and which all leads to more divisiveness, which was the point in the first place. So I learned to grow what I call my bullshit radar. And I have to admit that over time, um, you know, bliss became quite a burden. I, I realized that I had come from this place of privilege that I had no idea the life and the harsh reality of prejudice until I sat and watched it coming from the Morton County Sheriff's Department. <laughs> and I keep naming them because they were the lead leadership. You know, they were in charge. And it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal to see the deception and the manipulation that went on. And one night I had a dream that I whispered into someone's ear and they whispered into the next ear. But the ears that were whispered into were only the trusted ones. And the trusted ears got to hear what was being whispered. But I knew what was being whispered was to go silent and speak nothing. That's what was being whispered. Go silent, speak nothing. In order to see who the trolls were. So we were whispering into the trusted ears, go silent, say nothing. In order to see who was making noise, Now, I spoke that dream on the page in within the group at some point, but all of a sudden, the group fell silent. And it was like the trolls kept trying to provoke arguments, but no one was biting. They were just falling. They were just falling flat. It was beautiful. And I don't know if, if my dream was just a vision of something, I don't know, but whatever happened may have triggered in us this idea that if, if we're not feeding it and responding to it, then it will disappear. So suddenly I'm looking at the whole situation in this this whole other light, you know, I'm looking at my dream and I'm thinking about, you know, I, I had no actual idea if someone had heard me, if my dream, um, you know, was kind of this collective conscious message, but I certainly noticed the difference and the silence was deafening. In, in so many ways, just, you know, recognizing that. And at the same, at the same time, so, you know, 
when I talk about provoking, so some of the, at that point, the veterans had just agreed to come down and back up the the efforts of the people at Standing Rock. And all kinds of posts started surfacing about uh, the trauma of war. And, and it was, and these are posts, members get to put their, write their posts and put it in the group. And the, the moderators have to read every post and decide whether it's, uh, you know, something we are going to publish or not. So we were getting hundreds and hundreds of posts a day that we were having to go through. And, you know, if we weren't, we didn't want to be spreading false news either. So we had to, you know, if there were videos, we had to listen to the videos and, and, um, and fact find and, and try and do a little bit of our own vetting in the background. And, um, and which was also why we were working 12 hours a day. And this was all volunteer. Let me tell you, there was no, you know, GoFundMe account coming my way. And, um, but, but that's okay. It's, it's my, it's my, um, it's my effort, uh, my, my service to the effort. And, and I'm happy that I spent the time that I did. Um, so for whatever reason, I don't know, I, I found myself really, um, aware of this idea that uh, we can hold peace in um, in front of chaos. And if we are completely and simply dedicated to the truth, to peace, then the adversary can't help but look evil. I mean, no matter what they do, it's, it looks evil, you know, even when, even when the uh, water protectors are standing face to face with the authorities, if they are praying and singing and drumming, they look peaceful and divine juxtaposed against the you know, security and the the justice and the you know the authority and just the visual of those two points together is striking but when you see it in action over and over and over and over again you know when when the actions of the authorities are wicked and they just they stand out against the peace you know, and even when there was chaos, what I'm talking about is, is the focus on the water, the peace that comes when the focus is common and connected. And I think what I, what I really want, what I walked away from is that, um, you know, a lot of media is such junk and a lot of what we believe is um, controlled by the media. And I watched the media spin to the community of around Standing Rock, um, you know, this really scary story, which suggested that the the campers that were you know growing at standing rock were evil and wicked and dangerous and should be feared which was the furthest thing from the truth the original intention is to protect the water for all of us, like, come on. They weren't doing it just for themselves. They were doing it for all of us. They were doing it for the Morton County Sheriff Department, for God's sake. 
And the interesting thing is that, you know, months and years later, some of those security officers have come forward and apologized and they were paid and encouraged to, uh, to play that role. And it's a paycheck. Let's face it. These people have families. They need to put food on their table. And the oil company at that time was doing everything that they can, I would imagine, to um, dismiss and, and disperse and discredit everything that was going on at Standing Rock. So, yeah, so that's about it in what I'm going to talk about there. You know, I think for me, all in all, just to wrap this up, really, um, the, the points that I wrote all those years ago in order to talk about in this episode really are relevant to the three keys that I have identified in the title of this episode today, which are compassion, connection, and communication. I believe that these are three C's, three keys of C <laughs> that are essential for us to move toward peace. And Number one, we need to have these things for ourselves. And then number two, we need to learn to have them for one another. And when we can look at the crap that's happened in our lives and look at the way um, justice has been handled and, you know, get really honest about what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's ugly, what's beautiful. I think until we can get there, we are, we're just going to be at war with each other, I'm sorry to say. And um, I hear there's a thousand years of peace coming. So I, for one, am hoping, I can't imagine that I'm going to be here to witness any of that. But I do hope that what I'm doing is going to contribute somehow, some way to the betterment of humanity. So with that, my friends, I'm going to wrap up. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. I'm going to be on a cord cutting mission with my good friend, Linda Brooke. And then the week after that, I'm going to be uh, publishing an interview with Janine Cummings, which I'm really excited about and um, excited to talk about how she's bringing music and healing and personal growth to the table in a whole new way. So once again, thanks for being here. Take care and stay well.